And so that was when AJ and I started a, a, like a working group, yep. bringing uh, on one hand government entities and on the other hand private sector companies together to start looking at how New Zealand could actually tackle this digitalization of trade, both as the lack of it is, is a challenge, but actually that thing in itself is an, an opportunity to really unlock the New Zealand economy. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we have two great guests with us, AJ Smith and Mitchell Pham. So great great to have you both here. Um, AJ, maybe we can uh, start with you, a little intro of where you fit into this big wide world of uh, tech in New Zealand. Yeah, thank you. Thank you much for hosting us today. Yeah, I've been in New Zealand now for about eight years, originally from South Africa. Came over to New Zealand, entirely sure what I'll be doing here, um, but loved the country and loved the people and loved the environment um, and came for a much more relaxed life. Well, that didn't turn out (laughs) well, (laughs) but um, I'm enjoying every day doing tech and um, yeah. Great. Well, we're lo- really looking forward to sort of, you know, delving in and, and learning you know, about your company, Trade Window. Uh, Mitchell, you've, you've been, you know, very deeply involved in the tech sector in New Zealand for, for a long time. What are sort of the highlights of the things that you're focused on um, at the moment? Obviously, Trade Window is, you know, one of the entities you're involved with. Uh, absolutely. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so look, maybe about three years ago, I uh, stepped back from uh, the daily running of the CodeHQ uh, group. Um, very, very fortunate to have a, a really strong leadership team uh, that continues to kind of lead the business so that I can actually step back, still stay involved, but step back and start to... Well, what I wanted to do was take my experience and maybe share that and apply that in different contexts, helping different businesses to unlock their potential for growth. Yep. And, and, yep. and each organization is kind of different. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, particularly at Trade Window for the last maybe just over a year or so, um, I've been mainly helped with uh, finding ways to kind of unlock some things and maybe some make some adaptations in the business to ensure that it remains agile. It, it started out as a, as a startup, so it was very yeah. agile. Yeah, yeah. But then once you've listed, there's a whole lot of things there that over time kind of can come in and kind of, you know, make you less agile than, than otherwise. And 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 so so really my main focus has been looking at different parts of the business and say, well, how can we, you know, uh, how can we retain that agile culture and how can the business, you know, when the time comes, when it seizes uh, opportunities, that it can scale up really rapidly, yeah. you know, in New Zealand and offshore. Um, so that's kind of what I really enjoy doing at Trade Window. Yeah, great, great. Yeah. Well, um, also a big thank you to our uh, our show partners, to One NZ, uh, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. So, Trade Window, very very keen to uh, to hear the story, AJ, around you know Trade Window. You came from South Africa to to New Zealand, and um, next thing you know, you've got a uh, a tech startup that's listed on the the New Zealand Stock Exchange. Uh, you know, tell us how how that came about, and what you know, what was your past experience that set you up to uh, to yeah. jump into launching Trade Window? Yeah, I've, like I mentioned, I've always been in fintech and I've always had a, a keen following on technology and innovation. Uh, with my fintech businesses, uh, the one thing that really struck me uh, in my early stage, I had a, a great technical solution for personal loans and you know for other parts of the 
financial and lending industry. But there was one shortcoming to that, and that was in the early days, digital identity. We could potentially manage everything and de-risk ourselves, but fraud through our digital identities, identity theft, was always the shortcoming. Mm, um, mm. And it's one thing is you think you deal with somebody, but it's actually somebody else. And if you do not have the means or the, the tools to establish that, then there's a shortcoming in your, you know, doesn't matter, the best solution because you're not dealing with the right person. Yeah, so if you've been tricked into you've who been you're tricked. dealing with. That's, yeah, you know, yeah. that can basically still then penetrate your system. So when I came to, to New Zealand, I um, had this in mind. I just completed the exit for my last fintech business and personal loans, um, niche market lending. And that product was then used to scale into Africa, pretty much used in its um, final version and, and rolled out to different countries. But um, it obviously, um, I had this idea in mind that digital identities is the next thing that mm. needs to be solved. Yep. It's a bigger problem than one can imagine because it goes across you know, uh, different countries and you know a lot of privacy concerns and it's a simple problem but di- but a difficult one mm. with with privacy mm. and um and you know, also there's a lot of engagement and sharing of data that doesn't make it really easy so we started off with that um engaged one of the corporates in New Zealand um started off with a pilot successfully ventured into the next phase of the pilot and then some way we got talking about trade um and there was a day that you know it was just pitching all of the the problems is, you know, it's a specific bank in New Zealand. Um, all the different trade problems um, came to light. And um, they asked us, to, you know, would we like to be getting involved in this project? And we started getting involved in the project and I just saw the massive inefficiencies in trade. Really what we found there was a total paper-based driven economy system. Yep. So when you um, talk about trade, what, what are you covering here? So what we do is we digitize trade. So we're removing paper from, from trade. And that's in its simplest form. And this is sort of import, export? What that's we, for the importers and export and yeah. third parties like the freight forwarders, custom brokers, the mm. agents, um, mm. shipping companies. So everybody in the ecosystem really from moving a container from one country to another one, to another country, and then dealing with all the compliance-related um, to every trade. Mm, so, mm. you know, a container can be a simple box or it can be a con- container full of goods um, or it can be a ship. And each of those is a transaction linked to certain compliance and requirements and one side customs clearance and the other side um, customs declaration for import entry. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of compliance and each country has got different requirements. Mm. So what is happening is there's a lot of paper involved. So what we do is we try to digitize that entire process, deal with all the related parties that's involved and trying to bring them into an ecosystem because what what is happening today is you've got all these different solutions and intermediaries, but none of them are connected. None of them share data. It's basically moving paper with couriers and aeroplanes as we just spoke about, moving them around the world. As one of the clients in the early pilot, when we really wanted to understand what is the the level of digitization. We mm. found that there is, there is not really, it's just been a industry that's been forever been paper driven. Um, and that specific company was producing enough paper per year to fill a tennis court um, knee, knee deep. Wow. Just one wow. company, one of wow. our exporters. Wow. That's the amount of this paper is a New that Zealand they, exporter. one 
mid-sized New Zealand export company and the amount of paper that they need to produce. So you can imagine that's paper to the shipping company, paper to the um, banking, and and it's all in um, uh, duplicate and triplet. So it moves around the the world. Imagine the efficiency that goes goes along with that. And each participant add to that, and then it becomes a bigger pack, and it's all different requirements each different country has got different requirements as well. They probably yeah. exported more paper than products. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, really, uh, really a great, uh, a great opportunity. And so, you know, where were you at at that stage in the business? And, you know, you, you'd been focusing on, on digital identity. So that was a, that was a pivot yeah. then to focus on, on trade. You know, what was the size and scale of the business at that, at that point? Where, yeah. where, where were you at in your, in your journey? So obviously understanding the importance of digital identity and what importance that will play in the longer term, that was a great basis to start off in terms of digitizing trade. For the moment, we just parked that there and said, okay, well, this still this industry still needs to evolve, but we've got a lot of IP created and we can um, embed that into our future products, a lot yep. of learnings. Yep. Um, because there's identity in the product, and there's, um, as I mentioned just before, identity and people, your users, all different users that interact. And what is missing in trade is trust. So if you can establish trust between the product and the users, then you deliver a higher level of trust and governments and all intermediaries and all different participants will then be more comfortable trading and there will be more trade. Mm. So establishing that is really establishing it through technology. So after um, we've done our minimum viable product, pretty much a pilot between New Zealand and Korea with one of our exporters, we um, have been very successful in that pilot and we could show the inefficiencies in the process and how we can potentially solve those inefficiencies by connecting the entire ecosystem of all different participants and sharing data um, and removing paper. From that moment on, we um, really thought that um, this product and industry has got opportunity to be disrupted and connecting all of these different silos that is currently in existence and to some extent still is. Mm. And basically, um, there's different pathways to establish that and we found a pathway. And we also, soon after our minimum viable product, we saw opportunity in a few businesses that solves different pain points. In that early stages, we then acquired some of those businesses. We've today, up to today, we've acquired six businesses and solving different problems. Busy amalgamating all of that um, information and the flow of data into a system we called Cube, um, which brings it all together. Then in 2021, we listed Trade Window on the NZX. And the reason for listing the company that early was really because we are a small company at the bottom of the earth and what we're trying to deal with is big, large enterprise clients and governments. And to establish that trust, you need to really trade at a much higher level and have a much higher level of discipline and governance. And, um, you know, when you list it, it brings your, um, your whole level of discipline as a business to a much higher level. Yeah, because, you know, you're forced to report on a whole bunch of things. You've got... Mm. Yeah, a whole whole yeah. lot of layers, and I guess there's that confidence of dealing with a tech startup that you know a government or an entity might not be sure whether you're going to be around tomorrow yeah. versus a mm-hmm. listed companies, which would would tend to have a longer lifespan. Yeah. Put it that totally way. A, a higher level of corporate governance. Yeah. Um, we obviously in the early stages we had a, attracted a bank investment and 
attracting a bank investment meant already that we had to trade at a much higher level um, and we had to put in a lot of corporate governance in order to fulfill the requirement. So just right from the beginning, we put in all of those measures and we also got you know, ISO certification and ISO uh, 27,000 and 9,001, all the different things that would mean that companies and uh, enterprises and governments would, would trust us more. Yep. Um, and then after the listing, I would say, uh, found it quite interesting that the market then suddenly changed. <laughs> it uh, pretty much launched in, uh, listed into a down market. Um, it still is. Um, we then uh, straight after stepped into COVID, another uh, challenging time, but also great for digitization because what COVID did is really exposed all the inefficiencies in trade. Mm. So what happened there is, you know, goods were stuck on ports, stuck in countries, couldn't move. And the reason it couldn't move is with the paper. Aircraft stopped flying and the paper was stuck in one country and the goods were stuck in a different country. And these two are needed to move goods. And th that really illustrated the inefficiencies in trade. And, and I think from there on forward, that realization came that trade cannot happen without digitizing uh, the whole industry. And it's not just about different segments of the industry that can be digitized. The entire industry had to be digitized because you have to exchange data. So the entire ecosystem from A to Z needed to be digitized. So that awareness um, has been clearly demonstrated through COVID. Um, and post-COVID, uh, it's a lot of digitized digitization happening and adoption to digital trade, um, which has really been beneficial to trade window and it's continuously helping us accelerate. And walk us through uh, listing on the, on the NZX, what did that look like in terms of you know, the, the funding that you had received prior to listing and then you know, that entry into, the, into NZX, how did, how did yeah. that uh, play well, out? As I, if I go back to the, um, the early uh, stages of trade window, we've always been well funded. Um, been lucky to have great um, long-term investors, uh, sizable professional investors. And I think a lot of our investors come from the industry and understand the pain points that we're trying to deal with. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it's, it, there's a lot of pain points and it's expensive to like change the industry. And a trade window can't do it on its own, but it's lucky for us there's a few other great initiatives and government initiatives across the world that is trying to digitize trade. You know, it's not just about digitizing, it's about, you know, legal harmonization, it's about standardization, it's about, you know, data standards and exchanging that and being all the different siloed participants be ready mm. to accept data exchanges and, and also, you know, in a secure way to be, to be ready to engage. Um, so our investors obviously knew and um, we're experiencing all of these inefficiencies. Mm. Trade Window then started building um, solutions. Some of the solutions we've you know, built in-house, others we acquired. Um, there was a lot of IP and you know, problems already being solved in a siloed way and no need for us to like, reinvent the wheel. So we just consolidated some of those applications into what we call Cube and we'll continuously expand on that you know, innovation. Then um, soon after we listed, I think the market, the capital market started changing um, as we all now by now know. It's also uh, was time uh, that we soon after 
COVID <laughs> came, which I said COVID was great for us because it really exposed the inefficiencies. But um, then a down market cycle, you know, high inflations, you know, it was like the Ukraine war and, you know, what we've got now, another war front opening. Yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting time to list. We did a direct listing. So with a direct listing, it's not a, like an IPO where you basically um, sell stock on the day. A direct listing is just a compliance listing. It's mm. getting all of your processes and your fundraising ahead of the listing. We've we just successfully done a listing or a capital raise a week, around a week before our listing, our compliance listing. And then effectively just the difference is you comply to all the, re the regulations and requirements of NZX and then you stop, start trading. Mm. On the listing day, we had a successful couple of months. Like I said, it was really a a great market to list in at the time. Because you um, ended up with a market cap, what, in the direction yeah. of 300 million? Well, we, yeah, uh, it, it just started. Yeah, I think people saw the, the problem we're solving and yeah. it got a lot of attraction and it got a lot of interest. Um, and obviously, another point is it, it's got pros and cons when you've got limited liquidity. Um, and, and like I said, none of our long term shareholders are actually selling. They're all mostly, you know, long-term investors. So there's scarce liquidity. Yeah. And um, that meant with a few shares, it can quickly uh, 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 increase your market cap, yep. um, which we've seen. And so, vice versa, of course. And, and vice versa. Yeah. So yeah. on the flip yeah. side, when the market changes and there's um, scarce liquidity and it's a down run, um, and a changing market and scarce cap, sc uh, scarcity of capital, then it can also um, run down. But yeah, it's been an interesting time. I, I really enjoyed the experience. Um, it was great to work through all of the compliance, um, built a really solid team. Do you enjoy doing compliance? It's, they must be, um, they must be unusual to enjoy compliance <laughs> stuff. Mitchell. I wouldn't say I, I enjoyed it. He enjoy learning. <laughs> but I, um, but I appointed the right people who do enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they did a great so job. They enjoy, <laughs> AJ enjoys delegating. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's cool. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Is finding those right people that can that can take care yeah. of all the different, you know, building great teams around you. That's really the. Um, the superpower um, of any company is if you've got the right people doing the right things and they and they are aligned to the vision and they energized and they um, share your work ethic and your you know your culture finding a group like that believing in something and that's what I've got with straight window I've got an awesome group of people there mm -hmm. that is you know through all of the ups and downs, been really resilient and believe in the mission. Mm. And, and, and like I said, it makes it so much easier to pitch up for work when you've got and we're surrounded by such a strong group of people. So, yeah, right through the process, we had specialists and everything helped us, you know, great people in finance, great people in governments, governance, as we say, um, great advisors. Um, so that early stages of the listing was probably a little bit overvalued to the market and, you know, you know unrealistic expectation of what the company value is because it was early stage in commercialization and and um, monetization of our products. So I don't think that value is there at that stage. That was a little, you know, there's scarcity and options in New Zealand's capital markets, in equity markets. And um, so it, it got a lot of attention and, you know, um, it, it, it had a good run. 
but it wasn't the real value of the company. Um, there's always a, a multiple that the com- you know that your company based on your revenue. So that was a little bit disconnected. We Which be- isn't unusual in the startup world, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's like you know you try you're looking at multiples, but you're also looking at what's the potential. Where you know where where yeah. will this um, yeah. organization you know be? How much can they scale to? You know, even for well-established firms that are that have been around for a long time, you can look at the multiples and you know scratch your head and 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 wonder how they come about. But yeah. um, you know, I guess that that's what mm. investors have to make those calls and and judgments based on what what they see and what the potential is. But, mm. but I also believe it was a time when most tech companies were maybe a little bit overvalued at the time because you were finding multiples that mm. was just not in line with the revenue. Yeah, mm. and there was a. Um, a flood of capital in the market looking for a home mm. um, and, and a little bit of FOMO in the market. And, you know, you, it was really easy to raise capital in those markets. And I think that um, uh, th- that drove up the prices. And like I said, I think there should still be a connection to the company's underlying performance and it's and it's uh, and a multiple link to its revenue mm. and different mm. different multiples for different reasons. I, I totally agree with that. But there must be some sort of connection. Mm. And Mitchell, tell us about your involvement with uh, with Trade Window. When did when did you get uh, first get involved? Uh, I was um, I've, I've known AJ for for some time, and we first met when I was um, leading the digital council for Aotearoa, and we were doing some work uh, looking at e-commerce. Right, this is for the, gov- for the government. For the government yeah. uh, advisory uh, body. Yep. Um, and we, we did some research into you know e-commerce because you know e-commerce was going to be the key thing to unlock New Zealand businesses and economy, mm. especially under COVID, right? So we, we kind of embarked on that, and then we started to realize that actually, underneath e-commerce, it doesn't matter how good your kind of e-commerce online booking platform and all those things are, in order to complete a successful e-commerce transaction, a good has to be delivered to a person at a place, right? So then that whole e-commerce layer relies on a lower layer, which is supply chain logistics, right? And for a country like New Zealand, both importing and exporting, right, that that supply chain has got to be integral to the flow of international trade mm. in mm. and out, yep. you know? And so that was when AJ and I started a, a, like a working group yep. bringing uh, on one hand, government entities, and on the other hand, uh, private sector companies together to start looking at how New Zealand could actually tackle this d- digitalization of trade, mm. both as a the lack of it is a is, is a challenge, but actually that thing in itself is an, an opportunity to really unlock the New Zealand economy, you know. And and, and AJ demonstrated amazing leadership. Um, you know, we, New Zealand didn't have that kind of a group before, and he stepped up and he brought others together and and so I, I was you know uh, I was part of leading that conversation from the, the, from the digital council side of things um, and then kind of we learn I learned more about trade window and realized wow this is actually this company is actually pushing the frontier here at least in New Zealand mm. uh, you know this is the, the the one that's at the forefront um, by the time I'd met AJ I think I don't know what trade volume you were doing, AJ, but you were only like 60, 65% of all New Zealand export going out, you know, into the world. And I was gobsmacked. I'm thinking, wow, how come I've never heard of this company, <laughs> Trade Window, you know? And it's already, you know, handling more than half of New Zealand export. 
yeah. and, and we're an export nation, yeah. you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that was how I was first aware of Track Window. And then over time, uh, part of that working group, but also part of learning more about what are some of the challenges in, in trying to digitize the flow of trade, right? Mm. You know, mm. uh, to enable all of the everything else to, to actually happen. Um, and then AJ started to share more about the challenges of building a business that does that, you know, and, and then listing it. But then actually there's more challenges after you've listed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like a, it's like when you play a game, you go to the next level, you think, yeah, it's great. And then it gets harder yeah, <laughs> right? yep. uh, based on your previous success. So, so the biggest challenge then was AJ was saying to me, look, you know, we're doing really well. We've listed, we're growing and everything else. But at the same time, all of the things that come with being listed mm, to be able mm. to be trusted and all of those really good things yep. actually also have an impact on how the business operates, you know. Mm. And, and AJ felt that, you know, Trade Window wasn't as agile as it used to be. You know, things were kind of, there were just more layers and more tiers and more kind of, kind of uh, I guess, steps and delays and things like that and more reason for why, you know, we're not really rolling out new products and, and developments and things as, as quickly uh, as, as we used to kind of thing. Which I guess is pretty common, mm. isn't it, as, a, yeah. as an organisation scales? You, yes. you kind of, you know, you can almost build a, a straight jacket uh, yes. around the business and things that, that all seem necessary. So Yes. Now, look, yeah. all those things were necessary. Yeah. However, when you look at Trade Window, Trade Window is not a large corporate. Yeah. Right? They're, yeah. not, they're not a... a, a Startup, a small startup anymore. How However, many, they're not a large corporate. Now? Um, now about forty-three. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and so for us, for a not large corporate, mm. having to carry all that structure, you know, mm. and having mm. to start to operate like a, a large corporate actually yeah. actually slows you down, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And and so um, AJ kind of invited me to come along initially as an advisor to look at you know how to where. You know, mm. can we unlock things and how can we unlock those mm. things mm. to enable the business to become agile again, um, both the scaling up and scaling down and adapting mm. uh, and seizing mm. opportunities and, and so forth. And I think that was how kind of how we be began the, the, the working relationship. Mm. Um, and it's been really interesting to see, you know, uh, it's quite a unique situation where you're kind of in the middle, you know, in the middle size. You're not like a big corporate. You don't have all of that resources. Right? But then you're not a little player and you can't just shoot from the hip, you know. And mm, so there's, mm, there's mm. a bunch of um, disciplines that you, have to, that you have to have as a business. Finding yeah. that balance. It's yeah. finding that balance, yeah, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And walk uh, us through because, you know, often the, you know, the best learnings are through the, the tough times, um, AJ. There's the, the scaling up, but scaling down was mentioned yeah. too. Um, and you had a partnership, was a, a UK-based yeah. um Firm and and that ended up sort of you know failing, um, and it meant you had to you know had to let a bunch of people go. So walk yeah. us through a little bit of the, of that because these things can be you know incredibly stressful. Obviously you know on individuals <coughs> that have had to exit the business, but you know there's there's probably you know that sort of thing can can cause a lot of you know a lot of damage to a business if it's not you know, not handled Correctly. Um, well. Correctly. How, how did you walk through that, yeah, that so time and not, you know, not get disillusioned? Yeah. Look, it's always difficult, um, but business is not easy. And um, as you mentioned, deals fall over. If, if you're in business and not going to expect deals to fall over, then that's the wrong place for you to be. Um, and like I said, 
we can manage everything from our side as best as we can to the best of our ability. But you're dealing with two sides of a deal. And what happened with the, the UK company is we're always like looking for better ways and more efficient ways to uh, add more resources to trade windows firepower, to scale up and to do uh, and to build more product and build it in smarter ways. And, you know, what we found through partnerships, that's a really efficient manner to um, scale up the business, mm. also to develop it in a way where we can capitalize the cost to our balance sheet. And then also finding a partner who's got all the resources and the know-how and the international network uh, connections and also IP. So a part of the deal was there's some IP that we could find, unique IP that would give us uh, you know, unfair advantage. So from early days, uh, it's a deal that took about seven months. Mm. Um, so it was a lot to work through. Quite a uh, bit of headspace for you then. A lot of headspace, back and forth, um, quite a complex contract. It took us a long time to get to the final version. Um, by that time, we were really sure about the deal. So by that time, there was it's a point of almost no return. We already integrated quite a bit. And then what happened on their side is they um, uh, had some internal turmoil. The CEO on the day they had to settle us was... Uh, uh, fired for internal activity uh, like anyway there was some internal turmoil um, it was really <laughs> bad timing for us so <laughs> how, how did you feel finding, well, finding this day. out well, on actually, the day that you're supposed to settle that things are collapsing in front of you but I actually only received a text and an email later and saying hey um, we've got a few issues yet to deal with we've just lost our CEO 20 people has exited the business trying to get hold of the company and say, hey, what's going on? I really think <laughs> this is not a great time to like have your turmoil while, <laughs> while you have to settle us. Yeah, um, millions of dollars at stake, no yes, doubt. After no. seven months of working and going back and forth, and um, I'm not entirely sure, but I doesn't think that this is going to be you know, a great experience for us on this side of, of the deal mm. that need to now go back and explain to the market that hey, there's a deal that fell over and this is how it's going to impact us. And also, you know, the last quarter of the year, it's never a good time to raise capital and reset and find alternatives. We're always working and dealing with other funding opportunities and other development partners. But this one came quite late and it, to a big surprise. We never expected that on the day of settlement when they confirm, you know, everything is good. It's all it's all good to go. Mm. And then you mm. receive a text and say it's not going to happen anymore. But, you know, getting back into it, um, we then decided maybe it's a blessing in disguise. There's always alternatives. And there's, you know, as a resilient company and as leadership, you should always plan for the inevitable. And you should always expect that a deal is not done until the money is in the bank. Straight after then, we realized that it's a bad time of the year and we have to reorganize. And what we, we, we rather would like to call it right-sizing the business. So right-sizing it for where it is now and what its capital can carry. Um, and TradeWinner was always fortunate to have a big R&D team. We're developing and innovating quite a lot of product. And I was always telling the market and saying to the market is 58% at that stage of all of our cost is invested in R&D. If you look at the business um, fundamentally, um, it's got 
profit margins, growth profit margins north of 60%. And all of the different products that we acquired in our key products are all and on a standalone basis, they're all profitable. That's so a great what position it, to be in. Yeah, it? exactly. Mm-hmm. So we, we knew, I always knew that as our position. So what we needed to do is we had to take the foot off the, the pedal on R&D. Um, and we were luckily it, you know, quite mature um, as a business to be already be at that point where we could scale back our R&D, um, mm-hmm. remove 50% of the cost base. And within the next three months, as we, you know, from today, um, trade window will be a sustainable and a EBITDA break-even business. It, it, unfortunately, any reorganization and any right-sizing takes time. So we started straight after that announcement came out. We just completed our reorganization and our right-sizing. Um, and now in the next quarter, trade window will be EBITDA break-even. It's unfortunate that it uh, happened. We were looking forward to accelerating the R&D accelerating our innovation and having all of those extra firepower and resources on the team. But nonetheless, Trade Window team is a resilient team. Fundamentally, we're a strong company. We've got great people. We had to unfortunately greet some of our amazing staff and developers and people who's got a lot of knowledge. But the, the core team is a strong team and is a resilient team, and we will rebuild that. It's just we can't do it right now. Um, where the current market um, conditions is capital constraint. And it's not just us. All companies are finding it quite difficult to raise capital. Capital is firstly, it's quite expensive at the moment. Um, You've got very uh, low valuations, um, multiples that company trade on. And, you know, if you find investment, and it's quite difficult to find it at the moment, um, it is at a very low valuation. Um, But there's alternatives to those. There's finding um, new capital or finding debt or, like, just reorganizing yourself and make best of what you've got. And that's exactly what Trade Window has done. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this impacts everyone, doesn't it? I mean, we'd, we'd probably look across listeners and, you know, there, were, there would be, you know, folks who have been maybe wondering around, mm-hmm. you know, looking for new roles, looking for, you know, salary increases, all these sorts of things, wherever they sit, those that are, that are leading and running businesses, and, and everybody's impacted. There's, you know... People that have been laid off, there's a, a lack of new opportunities for, for folks. And, yeah, when there's that sort of capital crunch, um, yeah, we, we all get impacted in one way or another and you kind of have to batten down the hatches and, and, and do the best that you yeah. can. But, you know, when we come out of these things as a, as a country, we can often then do a lot better uh, if we've been smart around, you know, how we've handled things through the... Uh, through the tougher times. So, yeah, really encouraging how you've come through it. And, look, I, I really appreciate you sharing openly about this on uh, on the New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, because, you know, often what we, what we get is firms that are willing to talk and sort of wave the flag for their company when, you know, when things are all roses and, and yeah. the mm-hmm. economy's doing well and, and, and they're doing well. But th- these ups and downs that we need to learn and share the stories of, of how we weather them and how we make good decisions going going through these things um, so that we have good, stable firms uh, in, the, in the long term. You need to grow your resilience. And, you know, you learn from the bad days and you learn from deals that fall over and, and failures. And that's really how you grow resilience and how you grow a team that can take you forward because you don't learn when everything is going well and it's all easy. Because you should be really worried when a company has not faced any downturn or turbulent times. And you, you also need to then question 
how would the team function under those difficult times? Will they still stay together? Will they still deliver? Or will they fall apart and fall over? And Trade Winners demonstrated now that, you know, we can be trusted to also deal with the difficult times. We've had the great times with capital mm-hmm. is easy and we built a lot of product and it's all good. But how we deal with the difficult times really builds character. Um, and, and we've survived that. And there will be other ones. There will be different type of challenges ahead. Mm-hmm. And, and that should build confidence and trust in the team. And that's why I say my team is amazing. Those people there, they are not motivated by anything else other than success. And going through the difficult times as a team brings us together. We would have loved to have all of our team today, but this is what we have to do for the current market. And we will scale up again. It's just a temporary thing to right size, but it's the right discipline, the right thing to do under current market conditions. Mm. Now, looking at that change, because what was your peak in terms of people there prior to... Um, prior to the layoffs? Yeah, when capital was available and we could build um, a lot of product. Um, and like I said, we've we've pre-built product knowing that we will monetize some of them later. Um, we were, I think, at max 104 people mm. um, between New Zealand, um, Australia, and then we've also set up um, development uh, uh, resources in uh, Philippines. That has been really great for us, um, finding a lot of great talent there that supports the team. So we've, we've grown the team to quite a sizable uh, uh, group of developers and a, an R&D team, like I said, that's probably um, two-thirds of the, of the staff component. So it was an easy decision for us to take the foot off the pedal on R&D. Mm. We've had a lot of products still to monetize, and you know, as the last quarter results just came out, on a um, uh, month-to-month, December-to-December, we've grown... December, we've grown 49% and our Q product has grown 150% in revenue. Um, and that's from a you know year five base. Um, so we, we achieving really good uh, metrics at the moment. And I just believe that there's still more and we can still even go faster. There's a lot of opportunity still for Trade Window. Yeah. And now with that sort of smaller team, how have you been leaning into the likes of artificial intelligence and so on to because that's that's the thing at the moment we've got access to to many more tools than than what were available you know two three four years ago how how these sort of technologies have helped you to not completely you know let let go even though you've ended up with a smaller team I don't think we have a choice these emergent technologies are now part of our core roadmap going mm, forward mm. Um, where we're looking to apply you know, smart technologies like AI, but there are other technologies, um, is when we look at, um, at not just building great technology products that we offer to customers, but looking at the, the, the business, the trade window business mm. itself. You know? yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if we succeed and we have more customers, we can't just hire more people, <laughs> right? So, so we're really now looking at some of the key areas where it really matters for us to both empower our people more mm. as well as our mm. customers more, but yeah. also give us more efficiency and scalability. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we, we've identified that it's going to be in the education area. Mm. We can provide you know, contents to educate uh, the market, educate our customers through our academy business model at the moment. That is a, a prime target for AI. Um, and then there's a self-onboarding for customers, uh, ongoing self-support, mm. um, and then all of the back-end uh, of our business around 
tracking, monitoring, billing, payments, uh, all of those things. Again, automation is ultimately the key. Mm. Uh, so we, we've done quite a bit over time, but we've prioritized a lot on the products we build for customers. Yep. I think going forward, we have to bring that balance up to actually 50-50 where you know, it's just as important yeah. you know, for the mechanic to have a good car yeah. than yeah. to just yeah. work on other people's car, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so we're now really going to have to rebalance that and actually uh, lift the game on applying technology to our own business yeah, uh, a lot more than we we have done. Yeah. And and the academy, tell, tell <coughs> us a little bit about, you know, where does, where does that fit in and what does that consist of? About two years ago, we ran into a bottleneck with our onboarding and, and we were, you know, fully staffed and, and it was just a slow process and we were looking at ways, how can we speed up the onboarding process? And I spoke to the team and said, it's, it's all about where the big bottleneck is, is about training. It's about training our people on the system and also on the industry and industry knowledge. So why don't we just go and build the academy and then a lot of the training needs that actually keep our staff busy and actually be commercializing product, they now busy training people. And we said, let's take that function away. Let's create an academy. And we created a learning management system, developed all the material on every product and also industry knowledge. And we've built out to, to different levels of training. And you can get a certification through our training academy. And that's now really accelerating to a point where our onboarding process is actually now our superpower. Um, and whenever you need more information or ever when you want to accelerate or you want to enhance your knowledge, then you go back into the academy, either on the products or general knowledge, and you can just continue building your skill set. But it's also a great way to localize our product into other markets because every market is different. And that's a way that we can then really build um, collateral of information and people can come in their own convenience and they can train as much as they want. But we've also found it easy to onboard staff. So if you just think about the value of an academy, is it's not just for your clients, but it's for your yeah. own internal use. As when we work with, deal with partners and we want to train them, because trade is, you know, quite complicated. There's a lot of requirements, a lot of there's a lot of detail there. It's a there's a high barrier to entry, uh, high barrier to entry in trade because it's so complex. Mm. And like I said, compliance is the game in trade, and it's not it's not going to get less. It's going to get more. Mm. So the way to deal with it is train your ecosystem through an academy. Um, where we're going now with the academy as a next phase of evolution is through AI. You can now train models and you can then have a chatbot that actually asks interactive questions right out of your academy and your product knowledge base. So without knowing the, the topic or the industry, you can then inject certain questions and AI can actually educate you from an informed resource uh, specifically to your product or specific requirements. And, and I think that evolution is going to continue where it's just as needed as you require having mm. that knowledge available. Yeah, yeah. Really interactive. That's probably what I wanted to like mention yeah. is having a training academy that's interactive. That's great. I think we're, we're just looking at the time. We're probably out, out of time, so I know there's a lot more we could delve into, so we may have to have to look at a, a, an update or another session on another occasion. But it's been really great, uh, fascinating to have, uh, have both of you here. So uh, thank you, AJ. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you. Anything else that we've missed that we should just cover off before we, before we finish up? 
if I would just offer a last comment, right? I, I, I take a step back from the details of these conversations mm. and I try to kind of boil, up, boil them back up to kind of what, what so what is the, what's the big deal here? I, I think, you know, going forward, if, if we wanted to trust the flow of money, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll look to banks, you know, for that, mm. with the data and the systems and, and, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, but if we look at, you know, how we might trust the flow of goods, then it is the kind of things that we do today going forward that will actually provide the world with the ability to trust the flow of goods. You know, and, and I think that's, that's what really excites me and AJ when we look forward in terms of what could be, you know, and the kind of future that we could create, you know, with a vehicle such as Trade Window. Mm. Oh, we're really excited to, uh, to follow your, your progress and, uh, you, and your journey through the, the inevitable, um, you know, ups, ups and downs, ups and downs. That, uh, <laughs> uh, that these things have. And, uh, you know, really, really appreciate the, uh, the transparency today and, uh, yeah, just fascinating to delve into, into the story. So thank you both. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in to this episode of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, and, of course, thank you to our show partners, uh, to Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, 2 Degrees, and 1NZ. Uh, if you've been uh, watching the live stream, then you know, do make sure you, you find your, your audio app, whether that's uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Um, follow the NZ Tech Podcast there. And, of course, if you've been listening to, uh, to the audio, then make sure you seek out the, uh, the videos uh, so you get that chance to capture some of the live streams and, and the, in, the in-person uh, chats there. I can follow myself, Paul Spain, on LinkedIn for those. And you can look up NZ Tech Podcast on YouTube, Facebook, uh, and X also for those live streams. Uh, so thanks, everyone, and we'll catch you again on the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.